Let's remain standing as Laura comes to read to us from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Um, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you look at not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Christmas is such a part of our culture. It's something that most of us who have grown up in Canada have grown up with. And when we think about Christmas, then there are certain things that just almost automatically come to mind. Angels, shepherds, wise men, donkeys, sheep, other friendly beasts. This is the Christmas that we know and love. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. Uncrying babies, I question that, but uncrying babies in idyllic mangers, round young virgins, and I know I'm mispronouncing that, kids often do, and elderly doting fathers. In the classic video, A Charlie Brown Christmas, this is all highlighted to some extent when you come to that point in the show where Charlie literally just throws up his hands and screams, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And then his friend Linus walks over quietly and says, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he follows that by quoting Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, the story of the angels who appeared in the fields outside of Bethlehem to proclaim the birth of Jesus to the shepherds who were there abiding with their sheep. And he reads through the whole thing. It's a precious little moment in a classic cartoon. And then he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And it encapsulates much of what we typically think about when we think about Christmas, to say nothing of all of the other things, family get-togethers, turkey dinners, trees, presents, and wassail. Now, of course, by now, someone here is asking, what does all this have to do with the text that Laura read for us just a moment ago from Philippians chapter 2? And the answer is not not much, but it's not completely disconnected either. See, where Luke chapter 2 and the other more familiar Christmas readings are addressing the what, what happened on that night long ago in Bethlehem, Philippians chapter 2 is getting to the theological heart of why all of that needed to happen. 
So after the exhortations of the first several verses, which end in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, then Paul goes on to say, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And that's the why of Christmas. Or as we confess in the Nicene Creed, he, Jesus Christ, for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is exactly what Paul was referring to when he wrote that Jesus emptied himself. He who was God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, chose to be made man. He willingly took to himself the form of a servant, and he did so for a reason that we cannot find at that manger in Bethlehem. We need to keep this in mind because the event that we sometimes refer to as the first Christmas is really just a moment frozen in time. There was a night when the Virgin Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and the sky outside of Bethlehem caught fire as the glory of the Lord shone around the angels who were there to announce his birth. There was a day, probably at least a year, maybe two later, when wise men, magi, came from the east bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And all of these worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ at Bethlehem in a manner that was appropriate to their own time and place. But that's not how we worship, because that was Jesus in the state of humiliation. And I want to just throw something out. They worshipped him in that state because the weakness of God is stronger than men. And the glory of God in his weakness, in his emptiness, is worth worship far more than anything else or anyone else that we might think of in this world. So they came to worship and they truly worshipped. But this was not the whole story This was certainly not the end of the story. In fact, this wasn't even really the beginning of the story. The incarnation, which is just this fancy word that means a taking on of human flesh. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not happen at Bethlehem. And I know I say this every year, and I will continue to say it every year. But the incarnation of Jesus Christ took place nine months before when the angel Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary to inform her that even though she had never had sexual relations with a man, she was going to conceive in her womb and bear a son. That's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So if you ever had any questions about when life begins, Luke 1 answers all of those questions. Life begins at conception period, full stop. Human life, which is always a gift from God, was placed into the womb of the Virgin Mary when she conceived Jesus, our Savior. But in reality, that wasn't the beginning of the story either. 
The Gospel of John tells us that long before both Nazareth, where the angel appeared to Mary, and Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was God. So when Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in likeness of men, among other things, what Paul is telling us is that Jesus Christ was indeed God of God, light of light, very God of very God. There are so many scripture texts that speak to this reality, but remarkably, maybe, one of those is Joshua chapter 5. And since technically we're in a series on Joshua, I thought we'd go there. So just after the text that we considered together last Lord's Day, we read, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and, and, and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So evidently Joshua has gone out onto the plains of Jericho to survey the city that they're about to conquer. And as he's doing his little scouting mission, he finds this man who's standing there with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua walks right up to him and he says, do I have to fight you? Are you with us or are you with our enemies? But look at the reply in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. And he said, no, I'm not with you or against you, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. As I said, it's like I'm not on your side, nor am I your adversary. Instead, if, if you understand what's really going on here, you are on my side. I am the commander of the army of the Lord, not you. And what follows is instructive. Joshua fell on his face. <laughs> Joshua fell on his face. Sorry, this is supposed to be on. Yeah, there it is. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And he worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So Joshua falls down before this man with the drawn sword and he begins to worship him and he says, what is, what is your command? And at this point, if you know anything at all about angels in scripture, then you know that a mere angel, mighty as angels are, would have said something to the effect of, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Because only a fallen angel would ever dare to think of accepting the worship that belongs to God alone. And that's why we can be certain that this is no mere angel. And if that weren't enough, the very next verse, And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. See, this is not an angel appearing to Joshua in this chapter. It's what's called a theophany. It's an appearance or a manifestation of God, usually in the form of a human being, and usually we find these in the Old Testament. And the command that Joshua is given, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy, only happens twice in all of Scripture. 
The first time is when the Lord God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, so God. And the second time is God. No doubt, Joshua knew what had happened to Moses, and he knew what was happening to himself. So having already fallen down on the ground to worship, now he takes the additional step of removing his shoes in the presence of the living God. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, Can we doubt who this individual is? He is none less than Jehovah, appearing here perhaps in a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we'll see in a few moments, there's good reason for that identification. But ultimately, even if this is Yahweh in some less specific sense, then the second person of the Trinity was still there. For as Paul wrote in our text, Christ Jesus existed in the form of God and possessed equality with God, although he did not regard that equality as something to which he needed to cling. Even so, we've seen he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That was his conception. That was his birth at Bethlehem. But as I mentioned earlier, this was not the beginning of the story, and it is certainly not the end. Paul went on in Philippians 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's the purpose. That's the miracle of Christmas, if you will. That's the purpose for the incarnation. That's the reason why we are here celebrating this Christmas Sunday morning. It was not so that we could relate better to him by worshiping him as a helpless little baby in a manger or so that we could have a nice little holiday to break up the bleak midwinter. It was so that he, our faithful and obedient high priest, could enter once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. This is the purpose for which Jesus Christ came into this world. Ultimately, this is the meaning of Christmas. So that we, by grace through faith, could look to him, the Son of God, so that we could repent and turn away from our sin and find salvation and eternal life in his name. Because he came to his own, And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you're here today and you have known him only as the baby in a manger at Bethlehem, then please understand that salvation is not found in worshiping him or receiving him as a baby. It's found in believing that when that boy child of Mary grew up, he was crucified, he died, he was raised, and he he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he did this to bear your sin and to secure for you an eternal redemption. This is what we believe, so believe. 
trust in him alone, and having believed, call upon his name, bow before him, and confess that he is Lord. Because the purpose of the incarnation was for him to save his people from their sins. But Philippians chapter 2 goes on and says there's still more. There's a point to that purpose. Verses 8 through 11, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death on a cross, because he gave himself for us and for our salvation, therefore God hath highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He's no longer in a manger, in a stable. He's no longer the dead God hanging on a cross. Jesus Christ is risen. And because he endured all of those things for us and for our salvation, therefore God has highly exalted him. And it's interesting that when we see the commander of the armies of the Lord, again, near the end of Scripture in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 15, John wrote, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. In the beginning was a Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus Christ. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Jesus Christ is the commander of the armies of the Lord. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who you came here to worship this morning. It's got nothing to do with a baby It's got nothing to do with a manger. He is the commander of the armies of the Lord. He is king of kings and lord of lords. So we don't come to worship on this holiday as if this were the first Christmas morning. As if we could get into a time machine and go back there to Bethlehem and worship Christ, the newborn king. We're not here to honor the baby worshipped by the shepherds or the toddler, believe it or not, before whom... The Magi bowed. He wasn't just a baby in a manger. When the wise men came, he was a rambunctious little two-year-old or one-and-a-half-year-old. But both of those were Jesus in the state of humiliation. And now we see him who for a little while, those years that are recorded for us in the Gospels, for a little while Jesus was made lower than the angels But now we see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And this is the God. This is the Christ of Christmas present. He is the Christ who died for us. He is the Christ who was raised for our justification. He is the Christ 
who has given to us the gift of eternal life. We were saved and we are here to worship not the newborn king, but the one who is called faithful and true, Jesus Christ, the word of God, king of kings and Lord of lords, and Handel got it right. Hallelujah. All glory be to God. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All glory be to God, then come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the King of Kings. Let's stand then and sing together as we worship him, joy to the world the Lord has come. <laughs>